BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partnersincrimemedia. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, young children accuse seven adults of making them perform at a Texas swingers club. But did it really happen? We'll talk about the new Max series, How to Create a Sex Scandal. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, executive producer Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, I am also now bartender for a day. I just completed a fundraiser for my son's school, which required a liquor license. I went through a training and I have a certificate. Today, June 21st, Lara Berker was a bartender. Well, well what kind of uh, training do you need for one day of bartending? Well, you have to go through a course at the state, either online or in person, to learn about the rules and regulations of serving alcohol, how to display your liquor license, how not to overserve people, how to check IDs. What is the law? How long can you be sued if someone drives away drunk? Much much to learn. Kevin. What are the answers to any of those questions? I Googled them. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, Kevin, it's sort of like when you got your boat license, having never driven a boat. Yeah, that's true. Yes, it was. <laughs> Took a four hour course. I have my boat license. Now I can go to Portugal if I want. You're a captain. I've driven boats since I was like eight years old. And that boat test was ridiculous. Yes. Like I, I didn't know two thirds of the questions. I took it on the last, I kind cause you could take it like open book at home. Yes. Basically up until January 1st of, I can't remember what year it was. And I was at a new year's party at like quarter of 11. I was like, Oh fuck, I got to run home and, and take that, take that boating test. So I cruised <laughs> home. I had two screens. I was looking up all the things, but it's just like, if you're going up river and there's a triangle with a red outline and a 12 on it, you know, do you go left or right? 
I was like, I don't know. I've never been on a river, you know, I just do it on lakes. Okay, we'll just, we'll continue that in two seconds because you are our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. I hope that any real captain that you get on a boat with has more knowledge of the uh, maritime laws that I do. You can actually drive a boat. You can actually drive a boat. Did you or did you not pass that test? I did pass that test. And I don't know if I would have passed it if I was just sitting in a room. Kevin, you actually studied for the boat test. No. I, yeah, I thought you did. I mean, I think I read this stuff ahead you of time. St- but I remember you studying and I remember I like was asking you like about buoys oh, yeah. left or right and shit. You passed it and then you have your license in your wallet. I've literally seen you drive a boat twice. Mm-hmm. It was somebody else's boat and they were like, you want to try? And that's literally the only times I've ever seen you drive a boat. And you weren't docking and undocking. It was like you were already out. On yeah. The water. Like, okay, just put the throttle down. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, too fast. Going to throttle back. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy that you don't have to, like, actually, like, drive a boat in front of somebody. Because, like, docking a boat. Nope. It's if the hard. Weather, you got to drift. Yeah. If, the we- if it's windy or anything, it's, it's like, difficult. Toby, on Lake Winnipesaukee... You are driving a boat by million dollar boats and then having yeah. to like stall out, drift to the left to make a right degree angle to get in your like slip. They're letting people do that who have literally never driven a boat before. It is wild. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you, do you want some guy my, from the my, Department of Safety like on your boat, like trying to watch you parallel park? They don't want to do that with your uh, kid in the car. <laughs> yeah. My my a buddy of mine actually rented a boat on Lake Winnipesaukee, and he was just like, I can't believe they rented a boat to me. And <laughs> I didn't know, like, I was going to buoys, and I just have to wait for somebody to go by, and so I knew which side of the buoy to go on. <laughs> That's right. He was like, it was a nightmare. He said, the only the only smart thing I did the entire time was I got prop insurance, because I, like, dinged my propeller on a- uh, Yes. On a rock, so because you didn't, didn't know which side of the much. buoy to go. I, I, exactly. I commend you, Kevin, for being smart and not actually using your boating license. <laughs> Every boating scenario we are in is with friends on your particular lake, Toby, and it's precarious as hell. Like our friends who have, we have two friends who have houses there. One of them has like a boathouse between two rocks. <laughs> it's like the scariest shit. Yeah. yeah. Even he. Who's an experienced boater boating his whole life? Every single time is like, whoa, 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 with his boat is like, okay, this is gonna be a tight one. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Kevin. Our handsome line producer might know a little something about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's well, her dad. It's her dad. It's her dad oh, that we're talking is about. It? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if he wants to have a party or y'all want to have a party for your captaining licenses, I am glad to be the bartender for that. Just going to put there it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. You could be on one of those tiki boats. Wait, but it's got to be today, <laughs> right? Because your license expires today. But I can get another license. I just have to do the, I have to go online and get the course again. Kevin, you got I'm the certified. wrong license. All right. So Kevin, this is obviously Monday's program. Yeah. What is happening on Thursday's podcast? On Thursday, we're going to be reviewing the podcast Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Kevin? Yes. Just say you're sorry. Not fucking doing that. Just say you're sorry. After all this time. Hypothetically, if you were going to say you're sorry, how would you say you're sorry? Yeah. (laughs) Hypothetically. Yeah. Just say you're sorry. Would you say you're sorry or would you say you are sorry? It's sort of like. I'm just. If I I did it, 
I wouldn't say I was sorry because I would have done it for a reason. (laughs) It reminds me, we'll talk about it next Thursday, but it does remind me of one of those marital arguments where it's just like, you didn't apologize. Well, I'm sorry. And you're like, yeah, that wasn't real. And you're like, I know because it was coerced. It was like that, right? Great law enforcement techniques. Anyway. I had a forensic hypnotist get that out of me. (laughs) The forensic hypnotist said, no, I didn't take the garbage out. Yeah. Speaking Uh, of terrible law enforcement, should we talk about this week's documentary? Let's do it. All right. Let's get it done. I think it's time to drop that first clip and talk about what we're talking about on this podcast. Leading off. This is taken in our driveway at Christmas. Why does this invoke so much emotion? Because I love them so much. And they've been so hurt. While touring a building that had been a defunct swingers club, Margie Cantrell's foster children said they had been there before. As Margie helped police with questioning, the children said adults made them dance and have sex with each other. So Jamie does the rubbing. Sheila does the rubbing. Everybody does. And we took silly pills. Silly pills? When would you take the silly pills? Seven people were charged with grooming and exploiting them for money. But there was no evidence nor adult witnesses who could corroborate the claims. Did the abuse actually happen? Or were the allegations planted in the impressionable children by a caretaker with ulterior motives? My world got turned upside down with all this going on. I've been accused of all kinds of crimes. Basically, they said it was supposed to be in a kindergarten teaching them how to do things. Never happened. The Mac series, How to Create a Sex Scandal, examines the 2008 Mineola Swingers Club case. Did innocent people go to prison based solely on the word of children coaxed into making the allegations? And if so, why would someone put them up to it? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant plot points from how to create a sex scandal. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Toby, one thing that I wanted to throw out to you, because we should mention that this documentary is actually based on a piece of reporting in Texas Monthly, is this is a documentary very much not just about the scandal how it happened, and all the bad law enforcement stuff behind it. It's also very much about class, which I see that you put in one of your notes, right? And I think one of the ways that we know that in a signal in episode one is that one of the people fingered in the scandal, people sort of gleefully refer to by his nickname, Booger Red. Can you just sort of talk about like how kind of gleefully the media is like completely pulled in to this alleged scandal and how class relates to that. Yeah. So I, you know, and it's something we've talked about before on this show, but one of the things that's going on in this is that you have a fairly wealthy couple with 15 teenage kids or whatever, making accusations against some very poor um, people who, you know, are living in a, I mean, it's not even like a real trailer park. I would say it's just like kind of a collection of trailers. When you see where that, yeah, they're mobile trailers. They're they're not like they're not like trailer houses. They're actually like travel trailers. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so it it, and it's 
you know, the, the kids, you sort of follow the sort of beginning of all this is that these three kids are taken from a home uh, where they lived with their uh, parents who are, you know, very poor and are drug addicts and they get basically removed from the home. And that's kind of what starts all of this. Uh, but you know, the media, and, and as we've you talked about before, in terms of the way cops looks at poor people and the way some other, uh, shows they're, they're amused by it. You know, it's especially with a guy named Booger Red, you know, it's just like, it's like, look at these, you know, look at these idiots, look at what they, you know, they had a sex kindergarten in a trailer. So it's, you know, in the, in the end, you kind of see how like people have different outcomes based on sort of their social class, but you get the feeling that if these people weren't poor, that they would not have gotten into the same issues that they ended up doing. And just a matter of fact, at one at towards the end, one of the people's moms, um, she didn't actually go to prison, but she was the wife of a guy who spent time in prison. She said uh, that we got in trouble for being poor people that have poor people problems. Yeah. And that was what they were being punished for. Especially poor people that have had poor people problems. You could tell by the newspaper clippings and, and everything that society thought that because we were poor, we were indecent, immoral, dirty. Yeah, and it certainly feels like that if these were affluent people that they probably wouldn't be charged, at least, you know, that a little more judgment would have been put into, you know, whether or not there was a case here. Like, I guess they did that in Wood County. They didn't pursue it. But then they got to, you know, Law and Order Smith County and they had to go after him. But also, I think these defendants would have had better representation yeah. than at least the first couple of defendants did. So that really resonated with me, too, especially at the end when that person said that. I was like, oh, yeah, like a lot of stuff kind of clicked for me about what I'd been watching. Well, it's interesting because in episode one, they sort of like they do sort of what the article Michael Hall's article does in Texas Monthly, which is called The Girl Who Told the Truth, I think, uh, which, by the way, outstanding original reporting on this, which you can find in the Texas Monthly. If you're interested, there's two pieces, the original piece and then the one that he recently did about this documentary coming out because he's in the documentary and he, I think, also helped produce the documentary. And it's just very, very clear and, and clarifying as to what happened. But episode one sort of lays out the story that the kids gave. And as a viewer, if you have no idea what happened here, which I kind of suspected initially, like, this might be all bullshit, but you kind of get what law enforcement got. And as a viewer, you're sort of invited to be like, oh, ha, 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 that guy's name is Booger Red. Like, what the actual fuck, right? And then and you, it's not like you become complicit, but you sort of see what people saw in a way that you know why? Because Margie is participating in this documentary, right? So like, why is she there? I mean, that's my big question, which I'd love, I'd love to get to that. Like Margie is in this and she seems initially like the, re the quote, reasonable voice. Yeah, you know, to me, there seems like a uh, connection between this and the curious case of Natalia Grace in the sense that we both start with an unreliable narrator. Now, Toby's comments last week really kind of stuck with me, and I was thinking more and more about this. And in both these cases, you sort of let somebody who either you know or actually you probably go in not really suspecting that they may be a bad actor 
as opposed to someone who's a witness or a victim. And they start by interviewing an unreliable narrator and basically set up their story in a credible way at first so that narratively they can dismantle it, right? Because if you open the thing and the first thing you say, you believe it's bullshit, then, you know, what's left for the documentary? I think probably the difference... And, you know, by the way, neither of these people were convicted, so you can't, like, start off with making accusations. In the end, you just have to kind of leave it out there. But I think the difference is the solemnity, partially driven by the nature of the subject and, you know, with the the different people. That that Michael is a very different person than Marjorie, you know, certainly in, in, in tone and, you know, this in their personality. But I'm fine with the format. I think it works to do it like that. So my question for you, Laura, is, I mean, there are facts. I mean, aside from the fact that they weren't charged in this case, Margie and her husband were foster parents in California before they came to Texas. Their their certification to be foster parents or whatever it is there was taken away because of child abuse. Uh, And, you know, that's something that she actually talks about on camera in this. And like her credibility in this is sort of chipped away at throughout. Why do you think she would ever agree to give interviews for this documentary. I found myself wondering that like the entire time. Yeah, I I found myself wondering too, because at first I was like, like before you realize deep in, you're like, oh no, oh, ooh. And she looks so different now also. Like at first I was like, wait, is that? And then I was like, oh wait, no, that's her. Um, The lady we're seeing in those videos. It's interesting when people take part in things like this, because I found myself wondering about her as I was watching her in there with the Texas Ranger, with the two kids, like, you know, sometimes it feels good to just get it out and all that stuff that she was saying. And I'm like, why would somebody do something like this? And I'm like, people that do this in their mind, they think they're right. And I think she still doesn't think she did anything wrong. And that's why she took part in this documentary, because I think that's really like the only explanation that makes sense. Cause like what, unless you're just so out of touch with what you participated in the fact that like seven people were wrongfully imprisoned in this case, like she must know that these now adult foster children or like late teen, whatever they are, are speaking up. And she's so like her delivery of, of her version of events is just, to me, it was sort of astounding. Like she just kept on talking and I was like, I mean, if I was a reporter or investigator or whatever, talking to her, I'd be like, this is amazing because she has like no situational awareness and she is just talking. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just that she really thinks she's right. So I kind of wondered what they told her that the documentary was going to be about and whether she thought that it was going to be about this scandal that she helped uncover. And she kind of talked about it like that. And then as they confronted her with other stuff, she's sort of stuck. She's already pot committed. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing because I had the same thing. It's just like, you're going to get hung out to dry. I, th- I thought, you know, it was interesting what Kevin said. I thought the difference for me with this was one, just the title of the show, how to create a sex scandal. It's not like a sex scandal. Like you, you go in thinking that, all right, this is something that was made, right? It wasn't something that, that occurred. And then the second thing is that you, at least for me, 
the beginning where she's like, I found out there's a swingers club. So I went and I like laid hands and like said, you know, Satan, Jesus, you know, try, <laughs> Jesus, drive Satan from this place or whatever. And I was like, oh boy, you know, <laughs> and at first I was really excited because I thought it was going to be like Christians versus swingers. I thought I could like really like settle in for some some good Christians versus swinger action. A feud that among was not subcultures. What it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's be awesome. A um, sex feud among subcultures. But then all had to do with kids, which was less exciting. Um, but I thought that scene too was like, okay, so she's got an agenda, like even before anything starts, right? Yeah. She's She's got something she's trying to prove. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, point taken with what Kevin was saying. Yeah. In hindsight, I'm sure she regrets being on this. I think my guess is that, I mean, Michael's reporting is is out there. He's obviously behind this project in yeah. a big way. I know that a thing that you do is that you say to people, and I think that's probably what happened here, is this is your opportunity to get your story as part of this. If you're not in it, we're just going to talk about you. So do you want to be in it telling your side or not? And she's like, probably like, I want to be in it. And I want America to see my side of it. Come on, America. Without realizing how, I mean, I mean, because the one thing that like, I'll tell you, you know, for instance, working on projects at NHPR and like watching the investigative reporting that happens there is, you know, that's, you know, it's not a trick. You're just telling the truth. You're just saying, hey, you know, you can be in this and, you know, be represent yourself or not. But you're not going to tell people what the final product is because you don't know what the final product is when you're interviewing people. But also that's journalistically unethical to be like, do you want to review the product mm-hmm. before you yeah. agree to do it? Um, his article, by the way, was published years ago. The receipts against her have been published years ago. So the idea that she would think, for instance, that like it's not public record how much you get paid per foster child to keep foster kids is wild because that is public record that has been published years ago. And she's like, no, we don't get paid for foster. What the fuck, Margie? Yeah, it's right there. Yeah, we get we get reimbursed, but because they're so difficult, we have to get reimbursed more. If somebody's yeah. ripping limbs off of cats, we get a little bit more money. Margie, what are you talking about, Margie? They're, they're Fuck off, Margie. Yeah, there are better ways to make money, like running a Patreon. Oh, God, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> For God's yeah. sakes, Kevin. What a transition. Okay, Do you think Margie's got a Patreon? Does Margie have a Patreon? It does, yeah. At the $15 level a month, she'll pop you in the mouth. Does does Margie (laughs) give away free content like we do on her Patreon? Uh, No. For $15, I will tell you about the Swingers Club in Exeter. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. That is on the next Leave it to Bricker. But yours is real. Uh, Yours is real. Yeah, she's really good at telling stories. Okay, so if you join us on Patreon, you're going to get all sorts of great stuff. We have all the regular episodes of Crime Writers On. You get them ad-free and early. As soon as Rebecca hits save on the file, boom, it goes right out to you. You also get all sorts of great uh, privileges and perks. Privilege? Perks? Yeah. Whatever you call them. Get to be our friend. Get to be our friend. If you're uh, listening to this on Monday tonight... Is our live recording on Patreon. You get to see the four of us get together to record an upcoming episode of Crime Writers On, and that's going to be our episode a week from today. It is on Jared from Subway. Yes. And so you're going to see us talk about that. A lot of shredded lettuce on that documentary. Oh, wow, Rebecca. There's a toasted bun around that documentary. If you say a foot long, I'm going to totally... I did... Literally, you just said that, Kevin. Oh, for fuck's sakes. All right. 
Just hold the salami. Okay, um, so you can get the Crime Writers on After Show. On this After Show, Rebecca is going to give us all the skinny on the big developments in the case of the podcast, The 13th Step. Yes. You know, this is the podcast that Rebecca has been working on with her uh, team at uh, New Hampshire Public Radio. Part of it is this, I'll just very briefly say, it's an investigation into sexual misconduct by a businessman and at the same time they were reporting it the reporters were being targeted and the homes vandalized and things like that and very recently there were arrests in the case yes with all sorts of juicy details and rebecca's going to give us the rundown on that uh, also we have great products like the um like toby balls deep dive book club podcast we have leave it to bricker and we have married with podcast in which, uh, most recent episode, we talked uh, to a mom, or talked about a mom whose son met a f- somebody on TikTok, and that friend's mom. Fucking crazy. Yes. So, anyway, if you want to hear all of that, just join us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Kevin, is that in the business section? Thank God it does, I'm yes. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. All right, so Kevin, what do you think about the fact that Margie... Foster mom Margie was interested in buying this uh, swinger sex glove building in the first place. Yeah, what was it? What was the, the cover story, guys? That she said she it was going to be a giant foster home, a big foster home. Bullshit. A, a business that she never started. Yep. Yeah, I mean it was pretty fucking hanky to begin with that uh, she'd be interested in this piece of property, and she just like come on in, kids, and it would just. It's what a coincidence. This just happens to be the same sex club that her very foster children were sexually enslaved at. Allegedly. Who thought? Allegedly. By the way, if you haven't seen the, the documentary yet, listeners, they weren't. If yeah. that's not clear, this sexual enslavement by children did not fucking happen. Yeah. Yeah, it just was. I mean, there were just so many things. And a lot of it, you know, comes up in these interrogations, which we should probably dedicate some time to. But it just seems like. The things were so weird and just like with any sort of critical analysis and critical thinking about what was being presented, this shouldn't this wouldn't have gone forward. So, Laura, what did you think about the interrogation videos that we see in this documentary? We see the Texas Ranger video. We see a child interrogating another child. 
We see Margie involved in interrogation. This is like what they should be showing in law school of how not to conduct an investigation of a child. Or anybody for that sake. Show cops. Like what? They should be showing everybody. I mean, this was like a 101 on what not to do. So first of all, we have situations where, you know, the kids are being asked yes and no questions, which is basically feeding them information in a way like, well, did you do, Rebecca, did you touch Kevin's genitals when he was um, Winnie the Poohing it? No. Next week, Rebecca, I touched Kevin's genitals when he was Winnie the Poohing it. So if you've done any research or learned anything about child suggestibility, it is crazy. By the way, that is a, that is a false memory of Rebecca's. That is a false memory, but it might be a real memory. False or, memory of mine. Yeah. yeah. He gave me silly pills before that happened. <laughs> silly pills. Um, but like child suggestibility, which you see coming to the forefront in these videos, because Margie should never fucking be in that room. That you think? freaking Texas Ranger dude has no fucking training. They should have one kid in there at a time. They should have somebody that's trained on how to speak with children so as not to suggest things, so as to let the children offer the information. But, you know, you see a lot of child suggestibility in obviously sexual assault cases, custody cases, and parental alienation and that sort of situation where there's like one parent versus the other. And, you know, I remember going to a training, like a defense investigator training and watching these videos where it was like the first day they bring the kids in and they're like, did you see the rat in the wood pile? And the kids are like, there was no rat in the wood pile. And then by like the second week, when they bring them back, they're like, and we went to the woodpile and there was a rat and it ran around. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and nobody doesn't want to believe a child. Right. And that I think is really apparent in this. And as to how these people get convicted, like who wants to say that a child who is talking about such traumatic and horrific things is not being truthful? Because you're like, this is horrible. This needs to be dealt with. And so you are automatically inclined to believe the child. And if you don't believe the child, you're like a horrible person. Right. But I thought it was great. And I totally went off the rails here, Rebecca, how they brought in that expert, the suggestibility expert in this case to talk about like, this is how it works. And this is why you don't question people this way. Right. Tell him what you know, okay? Because you've told me all of it. Would you please have trust enough in him? Go ahead. We had the thing around. We had the spin. We need to talk about Gabby, though, because Gabby really is sort of the the hero of, I mean, she was the subject of Michael Hall's original article, The Girl Who Told the Truth. What happened in actuality was that she was brought in again and again and again to testify in all these cases. And then one day she's just said, I'm not fucking doing this anymore because she said on the stand when asked in one of the cases what she remembered. And finally, she said, like, I don't actually remember that. Uh, After having convicted a bunch of people, helping convict a bunch of people with her testimony. Um, Toby, what are your impressions of Gabby? Because, I mean, she really is just an extraordinarily strong person. Yeah, I mean, she's sort of the hero of this whole thing, right? Is that she is subjected to the same kind of witness suggestion and and inappropriate questioning of of children to the point where she she's compliant for a while and then she gets up and basically brings the whole thing down by testifying truthfully you know the the sort of courage and resilience 
to do something like that, I think can't be underestimated. I felt better once I had said it. There was always like this knot in the pit of my stomach. And the second that I said that didn't happen, God told me to tell the truth, that knot loosened. I think it's easy for her in her mind to think that she was going to be betraying a whole bunch of people who, you know, had put a lot of stock into what she said and what the effects of what she had said before were. So going back on that, um, again, it's disappointing these authority figures who who you've been dealing with for, I'm not sure how long it was, months or years or what. So anyway, yeah, incredibly tough thing to do. And... You know, I think the the documentary, to its credit, is is pretty clear about the guts it takes. And she goes from being, you know, a talking head for the beginning of it, and then this kind of happens, and then she becomes a little more centered in the documentary. Um, and there is a sort of end part where you know people start getting released and and reuniting, and you can see the bond that she has with with both her parents and you see them kind of separately. You don't see it necessarily as a whole family together, but you see her bond with her father and then you see her bond with her mother. Um, So she, from somebody who at the beginning, it just seems like another person in the story. I mean, she, I think she kind of becomes the emotional center and certainly in, in my view, kind of the hero of this whole affair and sort of bringing the truth to light. Kevin, there's so much that Gabby is up against, right? Because she's somebody who was also removed from her parents, like, right, from by CPS for some, you know, reasons. Her parents aren't together. She has memories of her parents that aren't unpleasant, but she's been told things about her parents and then she testifies to them, right? Yeah. So to suddenly be like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I don't remember this. But like her whole life has been defined by this alleged experience. Yeah, which makes it like really admirable that she found the courage to speak the truth and her truth. You know, it's funny because when you look back at young Gabby in the recordings of those interrogations, she certainly seems to be the most resistant to the idea of like basically giving the six or seven year old version of saying like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. I don't get this. That might be because Gabby doesn't live with Margie and Margie apparently was, you know, bringing the kids, pulling them aside, feeding them these stories before they go to the cops. Really, So she didn't get, you know, as much, Margie like didn't, get as much fa- yeah, yeah. didn't get as much FaceTime with, with Gabby. So, you know, and there, there's another the podcast that we're doing later in the week also has to do with sort of the idea of false memories and and you know losing faith in what you actually believe. Uh, and like this is like you know between Gabby and Hunter, their situations are similar, but they are different because their actual lived experiences are different. So I guess if you know if I had to look at the four of them and lay a bet, it's like who's going to be the one that eventually will come forward and and recant then i'd say it would probably have to be gabby because she's sort of the one in the position to do that and good for her for for coming forward can i say one other thing here of course because earlier you were talking about how um like no these kids weren't spoiler they weren't abused they weren't abused at any sort of swingers club correct but just to be more precise I wonder, like, I, I'm not, we're not, I'm not 100% clear on what Margie's motives here are. I mean, there's the financial one they said. I, I don't know. But there was some, an allegation by one of the foster kids that maybe John molested her. 
And I'm almost wondering, they didn't really go there, but I'm wondering if the motivation for this story to say these kids were molested by strangers is to cover for the fact that they may have been molested in the home by John. Maybe. I mean, that's not there. That's just me making an inference. But these kids could be victims of sexual abuse, but just not in the manner that they were made to dance on a pole for a bunch of swingers that nobody can find, right? Well, the most like incredible thing that Margie says is she talks about how the more fucked up the kid is, the more money you get. Yeah, someone put that out there, right? And she no, kind of it's b- true. said that, right? It's actually true. It's in Michael Hall's reporting, and then she cops to it. She just doesn't cop to it to the financial extent that it's true. What were we going to say, Toby? I was just going to say she also admits to uh, corporal punishment. Yes. I mean, yeah. Which is why she lost her ability to have foster kids in California. I'll pop them in the mouth. Because she abused children in California. Yeah, right. And that's why. And they, they talk. I mean, they're like, you know, they talk about the, uh, the back scratcher. The back scratcher was the main punishment for everything. They would pull your pants down. We'll be with that. We'd have welt on our backs and everything. And you weren't allowed to cry. You cried, you got whooped again. She talks about herself as this like magnanimous person who like would take in anybody who needed it, but that is not, that's not who she is. And one of the things that really struck me, Laura, was how all of the parents who were accused and imprisoned, some of them, when their kids recanted and came back to them, to a person, there was no blame at all to these kids. They were just like, there was no blame, like every, like the, no, every, like Gabby was completely accepted back. Hunter, like nobody was blaming these kids in any way, even though when they came back into the fold, they were much older. Oh, right. It was kind of heartbreaking, especially like the father, was it Gabby's father? Jimmy, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, just the, the authenticity of the parents' reactions when they were reunited with their children and also just their ability to forgive and see the bigger picture and just how grateful they were to be with their kids. But I think that speaks volumes, especially after what they went through. I mean, through the court system, that was such a key part of this documentary was having those now adult kids part of the narrative here talking about what, you know, and and they lead up to it. So in the beginning, you know, the first episode, you're like, oh, like Margie doesn't sound so bad. Well, by the end, they're like, oh, my God, like Margie didn't disagree with her or this or that. And then like the whole story comes out. But hearing their sort of, you know, realization of what happened with Margie and how they played into that and where they are now, I thought that was that was really what made this for me was seeing not only that we've we've had this very obvious child suggestibility case, but where are they now and how do they feel about what happened now? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't it wild that they never actually talked to any of the actual swingers who went to that swingers club? Yeah. I, I mean, I would like to talk to the swingers. I have questions for them. They were never like, did you ever see any children there? Well, no, they did. And then, then they didn't turn over that material, right? Yeah. That exculpatory material. Yeah, the answer is no. There were no children, just swingers. We were just swingers swinging at the swingers club. There were no kids there, guys. Of course, there were no kids there. Why would you want kids at the swingers club? <laughs> it's true. It really gets in the way of the swinging. Let's be yes. real. 
It's just somebody's somebody. got to look after them, make sure they're <laughs> fed. We just want to do some swinging. Yeah. They're not like Laura. They don't have a, they don't have a, a bartender's license oh, okay. to bring drinks. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I'm telling you, having a bartender's license really gets you places in life. Yeah. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out How to Create a Sex Scandal? It's a docu-series on Max. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for How to Create a Sex Scandal? Yeah, um, so I'm going to go thumbs up with this. Um, I've already recommended it to several of my defense world friends as something that, you know, it's three episodes and it's a really interesting case that is a really good example of how child suggestibility can play into wrongful convictions. And it, it had all of the players in it that you needed. And, you know, I still think that having a swingers club in that weird tin building on the hill is kind of a strange thing, but <laughs> whatever. Um, we didn't hear from any of the swingers, so we don't know what really happened in there. But They're too busy I, I swinging, Laura. They, was, they were swinging from the ceiling. They're not great at um, property management. <laughs> yes, they needed some curb appeal at that swingers club. So I think this is something, if you are interested in the legal system and you are interested in fairness in the legal system and how cases can just go totally off the rails, I think this is just a case that is really going to illuminate you know, the importance of having proper people questioning children when there are allegations of something inappropriate happening. Tell me about what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for how to create a sex scandal? Yeah, I mean, this is another sort of thing that sort of combines law enforcement arrogance with uh, class differences, horrible investigative technique. Yeah, I thought I thought it was pretty good. It, it brings up some interesting questions. I guess I wasn't feeling fully engaged. Like I, I feel like the subjective part of it, I, I didn't feel quite as engaged in this as I, I do in other documentaries. So I wouldn't give it a, a, a thumb sideways. I'd give it a, a, a thumbs up because I think the content is pretty strong. But again, it's not like a huge thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I, I am going thumbs up. I thought it was a very interesting documentary. And, you know, to have, you know, some of the characters on camera that they they have here was a good get. I, I thought that, like everybody else said, it touches on themes that we have seen interwoven in other documentaries and podcasts. And so it just is another reminder of 
the folly in some kinds of investigative techniques and that when things go wrong, they can go terribly wrong, especially for the wrongfully convicted. So uh, for all those reasons, I'd say that uh, how to create a sex scandal is worth your time. Yeah, I'm giving it like Toby a thumbs up, but mildly so only because I actually found the documentary kind of hard to follow. Like it's good. It's just like a little bit plodding. And I found it actually to be a little confusing narratively to be completely honest with you. Um, I was actually found that Michael Hall, who's in the documentary, his original reporting for Texas Monthly, the article that was published in 2018 called The Girl Who Told the Truth a much clearer and more compelling telling of the story. I actually think that if you read that article and then watch this documentary or watch read the article while watching this documentary, you'll probably have a much better experience watching this documentary. I just found the documentary kind of meandering, kind of confusing, although the story is very much worth telling and like everyone who should be in it pretty much is in it, including Margie, who again, nope. Spoiler alert, I have no idea why she'd be in it, but she is. Uh, so anyway, yeah. You can't she, do a spoiler alert in the, in the spoiler-free section. True. Just Margie's in it. Just going to say, check out Michael Hall's original reporting in Texas Monthly. Uh, the article is called The Girl Who Told the Truth. That is what this documentary is based on. The article, to my opinion, is better than the documentary, but the documentary isn't bad. So mild thumbs up for me for how to create a sex scandal. Okay, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call... The crime of the week. The crime of the week. The Department of Labor has fined a California restaurant owner for tricking his employees into confessing their workplace sins to a man posing as a priest. Officials say the owner of Taqueria Garibaldi brought in a fake man of the cloth and told employees to seek reconciliation for their on-the-job transgressions. The priest asked them whether they'd been late to work, stolen from the register, or had had bad intentions toward the owner. Investigators say Che Garibaldi then used the information to illegally withhold tips and overtime, threaten deportation, and fire whistleblowers. A judge ordered Garibaldi to pay $140,000 in back wages and civil penalties, refrain from further retaliation, and say 10 Hail Marys as penance. Now, that last part isn't true, right? Confess your sins, my children. What trespass at work do you need forgiveness for? Laura Bricker, what trespass at work do you need forgiveness for? Oh, boy. I mean, I do put my feet on the desk quite a bit of the time. Mm. And I I mean, I work with myself. So, like, for the most part, I kind of make the rules. But, yeah, I think it's it's the feet on the desk. Toy Ball, what trespass at work do you need to confess forgiveness for? Yeah, like Laura, being self-employed raises some interesting questions here. I would say uh, spending too much time on spelling bee <laughs> on the New York Times. Like, I cannot let it go until I get to the, like, until I can't go any further. Kevin Flynn? Yeah, well, it seems working with you, it's um, probably embezzlement mm. and sleeping my way to the middle. Yeah, mine... General Hospital. Yes. It's on at 2 p.m. And listen, I will tell people I have a meeting or an appointment, but really. Isn't it three? No, it's two now. Oh, jeez. Friend, uh, it's two. It's been two for many years. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Good for you for knowing it used to be three. I love you for that. All right. That's going to do it for us. Uh, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach you on social media, how can they find you there? 
They can reach me at Lara Bricker and maybe I'll post a picture of my feet on my desk. Toy Ball, how about you? How can you be found on social media while you're self-employing in general? Uh, at Toby Ball NH. What about you, Kevin? How can people find you sleeping your way to the middle? I'm a Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram and discuss General Hospital or anything else, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On or anywhere else at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just find us on Facebook. I have pinned the group thing right on top of our regular Facebook page. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers On After Show, Mary with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. Her dad, by the way, can drive a boat very well. The executive producer of this program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet in our New Hampshire basement, where Kevin's nickname, I hate to say it, is also Booger Red. Yep. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I'm telling you, having a bartender's license really gets you places in life. Yeah. Like right. the swingers okay. club. Fuck <laughs> it. You're really interrupting. I edited it cleanly and now I'm trying to do let's do what we do. All right, let's do what well, we do. There's more to talk about. Yeah. But now we're done. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Jesus fucking Bugger-Raid. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.